0: Hi, I'm Amy Farley, senior editor at Fast Company. We're taking a look at some of our favorite moments from the 2021 Fast Company Innovation Festival. Here's a conversation with actress and entrepreneur Drew Barrymore about making the case for optimism. Barrymore is also the executive producer and host of her eponymous daytime talk show.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Stephanie Mehta, Editor-in-Chief at Fast Company, and we are so glad that you are joining us for the Fast Company Innovation Festival. And we're really excited that you are joining us for our first keynote conversation of the festival. Drew Barrymore truly needs no introduction, but even the Fast Company community may not be aware of the breadth of her entrepreneurial portfolio. So she's executive producer and host of The Drew Barrymore Show. She just launched a print magazine. Go print! And she heads up Barrymore Brands, which has launched a number of products under the flower name and a houseware line called Beautiful. And I'm excited to learn how she gets it all done. Welcome, Drew. I First of all, I've been such a fan
0: of your periodical, your empire, your way of informing us all what to be aware of. Uh, it's so educational. Um, it's also like a sexy magazine. Um, I think in the wording fast company and the way you guys shoot your covers and the content, um, I'm really honored to have like made it here. I've looked at all your covers always over the years. I'm a huge, uh, you know, fan of it.
1: And, uh, it's really exciting for me to here today. And thank you for asking me. Well, it's going to be a great conversation. We've got so much ground to cover. So I'm going to just jump right in. And and I want to start with the Drew Barrymore show because you launched that a year ago before there were vaccines. You had no in studio audience. You had a very small crew. Take us back to the time that you heard you were not going to be able to do the show the way you originally conceived it. And How you kind of rallied after getting that news? Well, I think it's so much of our, you know,
0: so much of it is attitude. Um, When we did the sales tape, uh, make no mistake, a sales tape is an audition tape. And that took months to get a green light on. Then the pandemic hit. And then we were told it was very uncertain if the show would ever actually go. Then when we got a green light the whole time, they were like, just know at any minute, this could go away. And in 2020, you had to respect that and be humble about that. Understand, we understand, of course. But it was a very interesting case study in building a business that you don't know if it will ever see the light of day. Your alternative is coast sit back, wait to see if it happens. And if it does, you're screwed because you have not set it up for success. But if you pour yourself into everything and it just doesn't happen, well, that has to be okay. And you have to make peace with that. Um, and 2020 is a prime example of why we need to have that humility. humility. But I've done a lot of things that I put years into or so much hard work energy and effort, and it didn't work out. They didn't manifest. fast. They didn't pay off. They, they failed, whatever it is. And we've got to have an attitude where we realize there is no success without failure um, because you will never learn anything. And you can't look at it in a negative, you know, self-deprecating way. You, you have to look at what did I learn here that I could maybe apply to the next endeavor. It's just not a total loss. So that was an interesting way to start. So when they told us we wouldn't have audiences or guests, I think at that point we were just so happy to have a show. So we were like, no problem. Then they told us we couldn't do the show in an orthodox way, as in have producers around the studio. They would all have to be doing this from Zoom. So even people who've been in the business doing shows for years were like, I'm feeling a little green and lost because this technology, this way, how are we going to communicate? I think the most important thing, you know, whether it works or not, goes or not, is Give everything as if your life depends on the establishment of what it is, because most of us are making things out of absolute thin air. They just could be anything. They could look, they could feel the tone, the content, the messaging, uh, the format, the look, Um, everything is literally made from an ether of darkness and you're trying to bring a light to it and understand it for yourself and then take each important measure and step to actually creating the reality of that. So I didn't mind so much that we had so many shortcomings. Our executive producer, Jason Kurtz, had a phrase and we've built many phrases um, and we just said obstacles into opportunities. And I believe with all of my heart, that we would have been more pushed into a traditional daytime genre show, which was the exact thing I was trying not to do. Um, I just wanted to make it a little different and certainly pay honor and homage to all the shows throughout history of TV, as well as current day that I love. We're all recycling inspiration. Um, So I think that, we actually have a better show because of the limitations we had starting it. Yeah.
1: And, and as you start to think about what the show could potentially look like in seasons two and three and four and beyond, what are some of the the things that were born out of this period that you think you'll carry with you, whether it's segments or formats or or just an attitude? What are the things that were formative to the, the show in its first season that you'll carry with you, even even when you have a much more robust set of tools available to you? I think I'll never not
0: hold so dear and sacrosanct making this show at a time of such intense fear. Everyone we worked with, was worrying about seeing someone at Thanksgiving, choosing to spend it alone, not wanting to take show down, should we send our kids back to school? You know, it's a lot like acting. You don't really have an audience and you don't get reaction. It's why so many actors probably run to their directors and are like, ah, did I do good? Did I, are you happy? You know, um, it's like a cliche at how much actors seek validation. It's because it's such a weird insular job. It's not theater or music where you're having any interaction with people. So Honestly, for me, like being the joke of the girl alone in a box, as they said on Saturday Night Live, which was just like the best thing that could have ever happened to us. um, I, I was like, well, you know, I have experience with this. Um, I have experience of what it's like to go with your gut and your heart and not have any validation or understanding. I know those drives home where we've all left meetings or done our best work and we just don't know how anybody thought or felt about it. And we're not privileged to that acknowledgement or understanding. So that's the way a lot of people work. And this job was no different in that way. But that's just the creative side. I know what the results are in a business sense because I love producing and I love being realistic. I never liked being an actor who is just passive on the side And a lot of artists need that protection. If they don't protect themselves from the logistics, they will not produce their best work. I wasn't like that. I was like, I want to be a producer. I want to be involved. I want to be in every creative decision, every business decision. I would lay down on the movie theater floors of the films we produced and listen to the focus groups. And, I mean, it's rough, some of the things they say, because they don't know you're there. So they're, like, letting it fly, and you're sitting on the floor going whoa, that was harsh, but good. I need to hear this stuff. I never minded getting criticism. Um, I never minded um, embarrassing myself. I never minded having my whole life splayed out when I was a kid, which wasn't my decision. It just is what happened. Um, It has given me permission to realize that striving for this image or perfection is such bull that it's been a total liberation from that. And also the more you know about your business and what you're involved in, the more positively reactive you can be. Um, I would hear things in focus groups from the show that were very harsh criticisms and I was able to address it in real time. When it's personal and it's about you and people are saying, I just don't like her or she's just trying too hard or whatever those things are, I I can't recommend more taking a deep breath and promising yourself not to have an identity crisis. Um, We are all we have in this world. We are the unique individuals we are. And I am already self-flagellating myself enough about my parenting or life or, you know, all the things I'm just trying to accomplish as a human on the planet that I don't Need to take other people's criticisms of me and start to try to change myself because I will lose myself. And then you're just a fraud and a liar. So be your authentic self, find your way, be open minded and unstubborn to critiques because they will make you better, they will help you. But try not to let anything be an excuse to just take yourself down in an identity crisis. Like, be you your your strength in your own unique way there's nobody else like you for better or worse
1: I, I love that phrase be unstubborn about critiques i think it's very hard for people particularly you know we have a lot of early career folks who tune into the innovation festival and when you're early in your career getting that kind of critique even if it's constructive and not personal not about you as a brand but about your work can can be so challenging and and, and you you went through that as a, as a a really early career person, as a, as a, as a child. Um, You know, I'm curious to get a sense of how you advise your, the young people who work in your various organizations, whether it's on the show or people that you partner with on, on your brands, you know, is, is there some advice you give early career folks, particularly as it pertains to being, um, unstubborn about critique? One of the things that I think I try
0: to advocate for is to never say the words my and I, it is ours and we, you never get to any mound nor mountaintop by yourself. And when you invest in other people, eventually, if you can build the financial cut into everybody that I think is the ideal it's going to take some time to get there because you're building unless you get given a lump sum of money. And that has not been my experience. Um, I hear that happen, but i never, never happened to me yet. Um, is to make people feel empowered and appreciated and included. Every bit of their effort needs to be acknowledged and, really put into the mix of things and then i think people feel more emboldened to bring more to the table and you will need that and um so anything my or i to me is just like stinks of arrogance and entitlement and it's not inclusive to everybody else so ours and we are my north stars and um so that that's a big thing And also like, go for it. Like you have nothing to lose. Don't be pushing and annoying, I suppose, but like go bring your ideas to the table. Most people are looking for them, desperate for them, hungry for them, and really excited about them. Um, At least I am. So everybody is like always open and constantly funneling ideas all day long. Um, And I'm so open to a lot of them. And, um, I just think being good to each other and respectful and a text just saying like everything you did today was just like, so amazing. I just marvel at you. I'm so lucky to work next to you to, I'm going to cut you in financially on this, you know, that every single thing between those minimalist and maximalist brackets counts. Um, and, uh, so that. That for me is really important. Another thing I think for me that has been very important for business is my partner Nancy Javonen, who's now Nancy Fallon. Um, She used to be so 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 um, perplexed by how much people cared about titles. Don't care about a title. Um, Maybe we have to establish them. They are necessary for context. But I, in the businesses that I do, the shows, the magazines, the brands, everything, um, I read this book by Alfred Lansing um, called Endurance about Sir Ernest Shackleton and how he had the boat stuck in the Arctic shelf a year and a half Um All the people on the boat had to live on ice flows and survive. And he looked around and he said, what will not create a mutiny? Okay, I see these four people over there and this guy has this strength and this guy has this weakness, but that guy has that strength and this guy has that weakness. So if I put them together on the ice flow, they might actually function really much better together. But this group over here and... Sometimes I think titles really screw people up and keep them in this particular lane because I think we should throw the rule book out the window and and utilize people's strengths and passions and, and what they're good at or what they're growing in. Because the other side of the flip coin is I have learned the hard way. When you just go, I have this crazy idea I really want you to take on, go. If they're not really into that thing and they're not really passionate about it, they're not really going to do it. They won't do it well. They won't be into it. People want to do what they want to do. They're almost unstoppable about the fires that burn inside of them. So understand what that fire is in them and and, and utilize that and, and mix people up and put people together in these mm-hmm. new inventive ways so you create the best function. And by the way, he got everybody out alive. Right. After that year and a half, it has a happy ending, but reading this book about his strategy and ironically, they, I think called them and referred to them as pods. So certainly when we were creating the show, that book became this bizarre, I never would have thought of it North Star, because I was like, they were like, well, she's this producer. I'm like, yeah, but she's into all these things. Let's put her over there. That's what she likes. Does she love her title or does she love all of these things that she's told us she's obsessed with? let's, you know, let's move people around. Um, and I think it has led to a lot of happiness for the people who work here and everybody deserves to be happy. And if you don't have that as your high priority as a coworker, um, then I don't understand
1: you. Well, I love that. Um, Endurance, the, the Shackleton book has been uh, such an inspiration for, for the show and for you as a leader. Um, I also love that you mentioned your magazine and I, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I wanna dig into that a little bit. I mean, why launch a print magazine when there are so many other ways to reach your audiences? There's social media, there's obviously um, television, there's streaming. What was it about a print magazine that was appealing to you?
0: Broadcast television also is in a major evolution, you know, with content and streaming and how many of the new generation even have cable television. Um, so I saw two struggling, you know, entities and thought, let me throw myself into that. I want to swim in that pool. Um, I, for myself, am still watching broadcast television. It has been my security blanket since I was 14 and moved into my first apartment. I was so terrified. Uh, I was trying to act like I had it all together. Um, But I was just terrified. I couldn't even sleep until the sun came up. I was that scared. And um, I always had my TV on. And I knew that if there was an emergency, that emergency broadcast would break through and I felt like the shows were like this white noise and energy and life in my little apartment that kept me feeling really safe. And I hold that box uh, really sacrosanct and it's really important to me. And to this day, I have a TV on my kitchen counter and it is on 24 seven. I never turn it off. When it's off, I get almost harkened back to that feeling of a little bit like unnerved. Um, So this is something that's very True to me, it's true in my nostalgia life and it's true in my contemporary life. So, do what you're actually doing in life, otherwise, you're pretending and like faking and learning on the fly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we all do that in certain areas to some extent, we take a leap or a risk. I also am never not with magazines. If you open my backpack, you will find a library, a newsstand. Um, Every room has a magazine rack. I am still doing my tear sheets to this day and bringing them into the show for a story or an idea. All of my design inspo, my mood boards, I have paper and scissors um, and scotch tape, and I am an analog person. now what I'm trying to do is figure out how to not be a dinosaur that's set in my ways and really focus on, okay, people are watching their content on the go. So if you thought launching a show was hard, we also decided to really lean in hard on digital and our YouTube channels, our TikTok, our social media, our Instagram, our digital series, our exclusive digital content. So not only are we making 170 shows a year, but we are feeding the beast every day of digital. And we're only growing that more and more. Um, and a lot of talk shows, especially in late night, really straddle those lines successfully of having a digital footprint, content, viral, as well as a broadcast show. So. I knew that that was a successful formula that I wanted to aim for. It was just challenging with all the other stuff we had to do. But um, so I lean really hard into that. We just built a new digital studio. We're kicking it off with really exciting people. And we'll just continue to stay aware that you have to straddle that line Um, And then when it comes to magazines, I launched on paper because that's so true to my heart. In fact, I've made zines with the same team I make the magazine with for years. And it was great training ground for us. Maybe at one point I'll want to go uh, digital. We went on Zinio. I was like, you know what? Let's just have it available. It's already out there. We're not trying to hide anything. And I don't care if it affects sales. I made this for people to experience it. So some people want a Kindle and some people want a book. And so we have our magazine in digital print available and maybe we'll end up driving the ship there. Look, Oprah's doing it and she knows everything about everything. Um, But I thought since I'm not the biggest digital fanatic Let me start in the way that is my authentic heart that I know that I am well-versed in, that I have lived. And then I will find my ways in these new mediums and never losing sight of them. But I need to build it the way that will be the most, and this is the gross word, authentic to me and not try to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm a Luddite, but I'm learning.
1: Drew, I wanna talk a lot about um, how you make decisions about the businesses you wanna pursue. And it's interesting because you have Barrymore brands and you have the Flower brand under which you have a lot of different um, Products you have: flower home, flower kids home, flower eyewear, flower beauty, and then you announced last year or earlier this year, excuse me, um, the housewares line, beautiful, which is um, a very different kind of partnership. You have a co-founder, and that is distributed exclusively through Walmart. So, just talk a little bit about how you start to think about you know where an idea should live because you do have these different sandboxes you can play in. I um. I think
0: if anybody is listening and has gone through an appropriate identity crisis, this one I invite in, when you have bitten off so much and your mouth is full and you're chewing, you have to start editing and realizing I can't do everything. Also, I was doing all of this before the show and the magazine and I spent the last few months really soul searching on how to, Keep things going in a new way. And what would stay? What would go? How would I refine and define these things? Because I got lost, to be honest. And I'm the person who, like, I swear, like, if you give me the conch and it would be all up to me, I'll have the answers and I'll get us back alive. Um, for the first time, I was holding that conch, and I was like crying. I, w- I was like, I don't know where to go right now. I there's too much of a good thing, and um, I don't believe in trying to make anyone feel like they can do it all at the same time. That is not realistic. We already put so much pressure on ourselves, and I was really breaking under it. So I sought amazing advice from the team that I launched Beautiful with, um, Base. They're a brilliant company um, who works with Pantone and the New York Times, and, you know, they're rebranding. I mean, it's just the top of the line. And I found in them incredible partners that were as high-level thinking as it gets and can really break things down. When people say 360, 10 years ago, I was like, what the hell do they mean by 360? Now I'm almost frustrated when we can't get all the 360 answers. I'm like, no, we need every single like question and at least the question there to know to try to find the answer if it isn't already there. And base is like that. And, you know, a part of me loves the media aspect of what we do, the television, the magazine. The truth is I'm a designer. I love designing. And the beauty, I don't know how we've made it this long But we're still here 10 years later, and that's always going to be a little bit of an origin story for me, going into branding, having two kids, and going, I don't want to play characters right now. I need to be their mom. They need me right here. And what am I going to do in my work life? I don't know yet, and I scared the crap out of myself by stepping away from films and television and producing and acting and all of it so that I could raise my kids. And then I was like, I, it, it was a, a, an uncomfortable time. And it, it gave me a lot of time to work on myself. I've done a lot of personal work on myself for the last 10 years. And some of my biggest advice to, that I've learned um, I don't know if I'm anyone to advise anyone, but I have learned unless you are working on your personal life, your business journey will will suffer. You have to keep working on yourself as a person. I've had so many decades where I fooled myself into thinking I was okay because my work life was okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm thriving at work. I'm I'm doing it. I'm I'm I've got this. I didn't in my real life. And so I worked on my real life a lot in the last decade and I've actually seen my business life, be so much calmer, so much happier, so much more productive, clearer. Um, I have a lot more peace than I used to have in my life. And the beautiful line has been very emblematic of that piece. It's a solution-oriented line. Um, I started to edit out, do we need X, Y, and Z? What do I love about design? Is it making a throw pillow, or is it actually creating technological gadgetry that functions and sits out on the counter? And I realized that's where my passion has drifted to. Um, so I'm focusing in on that flower, which I don't want to go anywhere. I love it so much. I'm so glad we're still here. Is really an above the neck business. It is eyewear. It is makeup. It is hair tools. It is all these things for us that we want to do our little tools to make ourselves feel more empowered. I I have a very transcendent experience from being a kid in a makeup trailer and watching these actresses like walk in at 4am, like furled and their shoulders were here. And, you know, as they got their rollers out, they were like, and like this sexiness just happened and they got their makeup in their Necks would stretch and they would walk out so emboldened and confident. That was my lesson in like the power of beauty. That's what beauty is, is giving yourself the tools to like hold yourself up. And by the way, start thinking about bigger and more important things in yourself. Do whatever this takes to start getting outward. I love the beauty business. I, I would be in it forever if it will have me. The home and lifeline is really about, I've been making, being a homemaker. I have a book coming out called Rebel Homemaker. And the word homemaker is the most archaic definition I've ever seen. I was so mad. It's so antiquated. Um, It has nothing to do with what the modern woman does in her home. And so I put the word rebel with it because I'm rebellious. But the space and the home, which has evolved for us so much in the last year and a half with the pandemic, if we are even lucky enough to have a space to color our own, the way we deal with in life, I'm 46, I'm getting older, I need more peace, more function, less chaos. And the beautiful lines started to become much more visually and functionally and stylistically emblematic of the person I've grown into over the last 10 years that I forced myself to grow into um and work on. I dealt with all that, you know, and also work will do this to you. Like, I'll deal with that later. Or this really isn't a problem. Or, you know, I've got to do this first, which isn't like taking a care of yourself priority. So I'm learning a little bit of what that so-called magical balance thing is, I mean, God, when people would say it's balance, i you have no idea. I can't say it because it's, it's R-rated, but I, it's every swear word and middle finger under the sun. I was just like, yeah, 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 balance. Um, I just presented it. It seems so unattainable to me, but now i am I'm determined to find it and I'm finding tremendous happiness with it. I guess all those people were right.
1: Drew, going back to what you said earlier about knowing when you've bitten off more than you can chew, do you think it's the self-work that you've done, that it's the self-care that you've been engaging in for the last 10 years that enabled you to know that you had bitten off more than you can chew at that moment where you felt overwhelmed? Yes. Whereas before, for decades and
0: decades previous and i have started work since i was in diapers and started flower films at 19 and so when i say decades i mean four decades there were so many times that i just said you got to just burn the candle at both ends and you'll get through this and for the first time in my life i was able to say maybe that shouldn't be your answer anymore and um that is scary because i also believe if you don't throw yourself infinitely into something and establish every little thing about it, you can't let go until that point. So I don't advise just starting a bunch of stuff and letting other people run with it. I guess if that's what you're into, fine. I I would fail at that. I want to be able to tell you everything about everything because I'm personally invested in it. I don't even want to, nobody needs more stuff why 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 make anything at this point do you need it does it do something for you can we talk about quality of life can we bring a deeper more spiritual conversation um into it um living solutions um rather than just sure a category or design or fun pattern that stopped being my priority and trying to learn how to live a more positive, function functioning, balanced life, as more and more and more things came in, I did have to learn to edit and let go and get clear and make hard choices. Um, I don't believe you can do it all at the same time. It's just really not the way life works and you will burn yourself out. And I was always okay with that until one day I decided I should be in the mix. I should, my health and wellness. And I think these last few years have given us so much to think about. And I've really taken on and embraced the hard questions that were posed to us with deep humility and respect. And it's made me a better person.
1: Coming back to the show, Drew, you have said that, part of the ethos of the show is to give viewers a respite from the struggles of life and particularly of of life during the pandemic. Do you you think you succeeded? I'll never really know. Um, In
0: focus groups, they don't tend to give you the good news. It's always the bad because everybody's relieved and great, 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 but they're always looking to fix the problems and that comes to the forefront. So I hope so. I hope so. And it's okay if I don't, You know, if I won't ever be totally confirmed in that, that's probably better for everyone's ego anyway. Just keep trying is much more important. That was my mission in season one. The fact that we finally got to a season two is this one term keeps coming into my head so loud, almost like with like divine intervention is that I want to be a bright spot, not a blind spot. There's just, you know, I've lost my ability to be optimistic for optimistic's sake. I'm into optimism that is not found easily that day and is the great reward for fighting for it and getting there and conquering whatever it took to just find some peace and happiness and belief and hope by the end of the day. If if that's the reward for the fight, that's that's that has merit for me and is worth it. But I'm not going to be good at pretending we all wake up so happy on tap. That is not the case. And we didn't know if we would get a season one. We didn't know if we would get a season two. But And I certainly don't know if we'll get a season three, but I'm going to work every day as if my life depends on it. And this show inspires that in me. It doesn't feel difficult. It feels like I am so lucky. I found this job that I get to take everything I love and put it into a piggy bank every day. When I stopped acting, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life's work. And then in business, there's been a lot of great women um, who have helped us evolve into a culture of founders because celebrity brands was not where a lot of people wanted to be at. And some people did get a paycheck. You slap a name. Awesome. Um, More people probably should have done that and run away and, and, and whoever did good for them. But, That wasn't sustainable. And it's funny because when we were going to launch the talk show two years ago, we were in initial talks. I said, I just have this really big gut that if we focus on everything through a celebrity lens, I don't personally want to watch that show. I don't want to make that show. The world is becoming so amazingly diverse and everybody has a platform and there's just too many things that are interesting in the world that if this wants to be a talk show, that's like a first, second, third celebrity guest, I would not be the right person for this job. Um, And I would, and I would understand that. And I would back out and say, thank you for even considering me. But if you want this to be a mood board of life and to have comedy and cooking and design and news. News was the big one for me Um, and not something that was totally believed in honestly, by everybody. It took a long time for me to prove that that segment had worth. And now it's one of our most successful segments and like we can see it in the numbers and the rating. And I'm like, thank God. Cause I fought for things that like totally tanked and failed and, It it just, not everything's gonna land. So, but I believed in that because even two years ago, there wasn't as much of a social media movement to find good news. There's, it's a lot more ubiquitous now, but God, you had to be a miner and get your cap on and chisel away to find the wonderful things that are happening. And our show, because it was in the pandemic, was a beautiful way. I just said, I want to talk to people I've never met and be as excited to talk to them as someone I might've admired my whole life. That was me also putting balance into work. I couldn't have the show skewed one way too far in any direction. I wanted it to be the mood board of life. So I'm very grateful that they allowed me to do that. They didn't have to, um, but I know I would have failed at any other version of it
1: throughout the conversation you've referenced um, your influences you've talked about television you've talked about nostalgia you've talked about amazing founders and the sort of you know growing diversity of really interesting people starting new projects and 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 founding businesses um, you know a little bit of a speed round who, who do you admire what what broadcast shows are you watching now um, what what founders have you come to really respect and admire and, and maybe draw inspiration from? You know, who who or what have been in your mood board for your life? Um, I think there's an
0: amazing group of women from like, you know, Oprah to Joanna Gaines to Ari Drummond to Jessica Alba, Reese Witherspoon, Gwyneth Paltrow, who just said, you know what, everybody, please don't make me feel like I have to be one thing. I can be all these different things and I can cohesively tell this story. They just have my deepest admiration and respect. There's a ton of men that are funny. Trevor Noah, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, um, John Stewart, David Letterman, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. Conan O'Brien, they're all in there. Like I, Samantha B, I love, uh, I, I like my, com- I like my news with some comedy, but I want to hear the news, and I watch regular news. I watch many different outlets, um, but I, I wouldn't mind a little spin on it. Um, and I thank all the people who have kind of reestablished how we can get our information. Um, you know, I, I see like a Judy Woodruff and a Diane Sawyer, and I'm like,
1: <gasps> you know, I get the hots. Um probably creepy. I love Judy Woodruff. I was just telling my husband the other day. I would watch her every day on any network. Totally.
0: Like I have girl crushes on Judy Woodruff and 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 people, um, you know, I I love what I loved growing up. I loved whether it was the weirdness of Hollywood Squares and Robin Leach, but the gentleness of Sesame Street, Barbara Walters and Donahue and Oprah, and you know who made their shows, and we weren't able to do this in season one because we didn't have an audience, but like this sort of Greek amphitheater, television in the round, I called it. Um, and I said, one day our show is gonna get to go from this to this. And when we get that audience, the last thing I want is to make them feel like they're here to give energy to the room. They are 118 guests every single day who have stories to tell and moments to participate. Their energy will feed this room. I read a book by Jerry Lewis called The Total Filmmaker, and that book totally changed my life. He knew every single thing about, he invented a camera actually, but he knew every single thing. He knew that craft service kept everybody sustained, you know, in nutrients to keep working all day. He knew how the camera function, he knew the lighting guy, he knew the stand-ins, he knew and respected and did the jobs of everyone. He would also go and like lick the emulsion of the film in the editing room at night, um, which is just weird, but right. interesting. And I picture him doing that, but he believed he had a philosophy that whatever was caught on that emulsion, which is now digital. So binary codes at this point, um, that energy gets trapped into the emulsion now digital. And when it gets projected out, that energy is still there. So whatever happens in these rooms is what you will see and feel. And for me, I loved old television that was so much more inclusive of an audience um, and brought them into the fold of the omelet. So we're still in masks. We're still social distancing. We're being very careful. We're just privileged to have an audience. I do stand up for them the entire show. Every break, I stay on stage and talk and do my thing. It's so fun. I'm glad they have to tolerate it and indulge. And hopefully we can, I ask them questions. I try to get to know them. I can't imagine being like, all right, the segment's over. I'm going backstage. Like who does that? I, this is, these people have taken time out of their lives to come be here. They deserve every bit of the marrow on that bone. And this is all for them. It's all for people watching it. I think the best thing in business is you can make it as something you love, but ultimately it's not for you, it's for others. And I think the best stuff comes out of the stuff that you just love the most and you can't stop yourself from doing it and you want to do it and you wake up every day motivated to do it. But ultimately, I think the intention is that it has to be let go and it has to be for someone else. And that's the way you can bring some objectivity and some aspiration into it because it's not about you, but you can make it in a very personal way. Because if it's not personal,
1: I know that I would fail. If I don't make it personal, I, I would lose. Drew, I wish we had another 45 minutes together. What I think has been so interesting is that we set out, you know, the name of this uh, conversation is The Case for Optimism. And I loved what you said about um, the hard work of optimism, right? That you don't want to go for the easy optimistic segment. You don't want to go for optimism that feels fake or put on, but that we have to work for it. And and I just think that's a really interesting and important message. And and I think the work that you've done on your news segments is a, a great example of that.
0: That is so meaningful to me. I have such deep respect because I know people are out there trying so hard. They want so badly to build something for themselves and their colleagues and to make a difference, or make a mark, or just be employed, and everything in between. And I think your entity is is very important for people, and it's educational. And um, hearing that from you means a lot to me. Thank you very much.
1: Well, it's been a great time together. I hope we can do this in person sometime soon. Thank you so much for being part of the Innovation Festival, Drew. I know that our community will really um, enjoy having heard from you.
0: Thank you. And I hope everyone feels like we're going to mess things up. We're going to be messy and we're going to figure it out and we're going to keep trying. And may we be nearly as forgiving to ourselves as we are to others. I'm like always like, oh, so I'm learning and I hope people take care of each other and they're respectful to each other in business and they can enjoy their life better. And when you're angry and snippy to people at work, it's not okay. And we can't do that. And we got to be good to each other and everybody deserves to work happy and be happy and have a good life. So let's help each other do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Drew.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I can't believe I made it onto Fast Company. I have a run. I'm thrilled.